anyway, so I'm excited for uh, today as well. We're continuing on in the series that we've been doing for the last, I don't know, five, six weeks um, on the life of Jesus. And so throughout this summer, we've been taking time. We're doing a long series um, leading into the fall that's looking at Jesus from a lot of different angles, right? And so we started out the series and we looked at a lot of the different prophecies about Jesus. There's so many about the Messiah. Let me say it that way. There's so many prophecies about what the Messiah's birth was going to be like, what his life was going to be like, what his death was going to be like. And then all of these other prophecies that are yet unfulfilled about him coming back. And we looked back at each of those things and saw how Jesus fulfilled those. And I threw a bunch of stuff at you. And then last week we started kind of the second chunk of this series, and we started looking at some of the different miracles that Jesus did. Miracles that only God could do, right? Like humans, just normal humans like you and me can't do these things. And so last week we went into to Jesus's first miracle, which is a little different, it's a little bit off the wall, and we kind of dug into that, him turning water into wine, all right? And so this week we're going to continue, we're going to look at um, another miracle, actually more than one miracle here this morning. So I've shared with you guys before in the past that like my, the, the, the routine at my house, many nights, not every night, but many nights before, you know, we tuck the kid, we pray with the kids and tuck them in. And a lot of times we'll turn the TV on and we'll watch, you know, whatever stupid sitcom or, or sporting event or whatever it is. Lately it's been American Ninja Warrior. You guys watch that? That's how they say it on it. But it's fun. It's we like watching it. Or cops. We watch a lot of cops in my house. My, kid, my seven and 10-year-old love cops. I don't know what that says about them in the future. Either they're never going to get in trouble with the law ever, or they're both going to be criminals. I'm not sure. I'm hoping it's not the latter, right? So anyway, we, we watch a lot of that. But then we also, like, they like the Weather Channel. So we watch Weather Channel because, you know, like they, these things on like mega storms, you know, and tornadoes and these storm chaser guys. You guys seen these people? They're crazy. Like they, they see, you know, they have this intricate equipment and they can track where these gigantic storms, you know, with multiple funnel tornadoes are going to come down. And then normal people like you and me would drive away from them, right? They drive into the storm and, and I get, you know, they have all this equipment, they can kind of track it, but those things are unpredictable, right? So I, so like we have some tornadoes and stuff in our area, not a whole lot. I remember as a kid, you know, there's tornado warning, like being scared and going down into the basement. But it's nothing like, you know, out, out west more in like Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, you know. That is, that is a different world out there. When I was in high school, we, uh, we took a trip out west, like a family, a, a big, I think it was like the last family vacation, you know. I mean, I'll take, and so we went out west and we went like all of the just beautiful places out there, Grand Canyon, Rocky Mountains, all that sort of stuff. And I remember, I don't remember much about Texas, but I remember driving through Amarillo, Texas. And if, and if you've been, who's been to Texas? If you've been to Texas, you look out, Texas is just gigantic and vast and flat, right? Like you can see for miles and miles and miles. And so I don't remember a whole lot about Texas, but I remember Amarillo, Texas, because as we were driving through Amarillo, there was this incredible storm system that was moving in. And like, you've, you've never seen anything like it. You can see so far, like you can see how big, like this big black shelf that was moving toward us, you know? And you look up and you see like the clouds swirling around in there. And it is terrifying. 
right? Because especially you don't know, like we're on vacation. We don't really know like where to go for shelter. You know, if a tornado comes down here, it's terrifying. And you know, you, so you, you're, like, you're like praying to God, please don't let us be swept. Please don't let us end up in Oz like Dorothy, right? Be swept away by a tornado. Unless you're a storm chaser, then you're like, please God, let this storm spawn a tornado right over my head, right? When we're in situations like that, where we're scared out of our minds because of, you know, these weather catastrophes that could happen, what do we do? Well, we pray, right? Like we pray to God because none of us can, you know, manipulate the laws of nature. None of us can, you know, control the weather. Only God can do that. Okay, so let me ask you a question. How would you react if someone you knew came to you and said, I can actually manipulate the laws of nature. I can actually control the weather, right? And then what if they also told you, and by the way, I'm also God incarnate. This is the situation that the disciples were in 2000 years ago that we're gonna look at today, right? Their, their friend, their leader, Jesus, is somebody in, in this miracle that we're going to look at who can manipulate the laws of nature, right? And he can control the weather. And so 2,000 years ago, the disciples, and what we're going to dig into here, the disciples were confronted with the same thing that we're, the same question that we're confronted with 2,000 years later today. Just who is this Jesus, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a Bible and flip it open to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. So in the uh, prophecy thing, we jumped all over. We're just going to camp out in Matthew 14 here this morning. It's uh, New Testament, so it's first book in the New Testament, right? If you don't have a Bible, by the way, raise your hand. We got a, a Trent on, on like demand. He's going to bring you a Bible here. It's page 796 in the Bible. So as you're flipping there, let me give you a little bit of background and context into where we're jumping in, because the context is actually very important. We're jumping in mid-chapter. We're going to start in verse 22, but the context is really important. So um, right, right where we jump in, right before, at the beginning of Matthew 14, Jesus experiences a really traumatic event. His cousin is murdered. Right? So we talked about his cousin a few weeks ago when we were talking about different prophecies, messianic prophecies. And so one of the prophecies was that someone would come before the Lord and he would like prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for the Lord. And this guy, John the Baptist, was the guy who ended up doing that. He prepared the way for the Lord, for the Messiah, who also happened to be his cousin, right? And so John, his cousin, John the Baptist, was just brutally murdered by a guy named Herod, really senselessly murdered. I encourage you, like, go, go check it out. It's, it's, he, he, keep, he makes a promise, and then in his pride, he has to keep it. And so he beheads John the Baptist, okay? And so that's Jesus' cousin. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Imagine what Jesus was feeling during that time. Probably some of us have lost loved ones in traumatic ways, right? How do we feel when that happens? Well, we're hurting, right? Like we're, we're, we're sad, we're upset, we're feeling pain, we're feeling suffering. And so that's what Jesus is experiencing. And so Jesus, I don't know what you do when something like that happens, Jesus goes off to pray. Like that's what he's going to do. He goes off to spend time with his father. But as he's going, these crowds start following him, right? These crowds of people. And again, I want you to put yourself in his shoes. Like imagine what he's feeling. He just wants to get away and spend time with his father to like process through this stuff. 
and you have these vast crowds of people, they just want to hear him teach. They just want to see him do miraculous things, wondrous things. They're like lost sheep looking for a shepherd. And so even though, think of like this is how Jesus responds compared to how you would respond. Even though Jesus is hurting in pain, like needs time to process, needs time to spend with his father, these crowds come to him. This is how he responds. He has compassion on them and he heals them. He has compassion on them and he heals their sick. And so he spends all day doing that. And at the end of the day, you got this gigantic crowd of people around him. I'm not going to get too much into this because we're going to look at this in depth in a couple weeks, but they're hungry. And they got a little bit, the disciples have a little bit of fish. They got a little bit of bread. And Jesus does a miraculous thing, another miracle, where he turns a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread into enough to feed 20,000 people. All right? We're going we're gonna to dig into that. Absolutely amazing. Okay? And so it's the end of the day. He's just fed every, he's healed their sick, right? He just got this terrible news that his cousin was murdered. He's healed their sick. He's cared for them. He's fed them all of this food, right? It's the end of the day. He sends his disciples off into the boat. He says, I want you to get in the boat. I want you to go to the other side of the lake. I'll meet you on the other side of the lake, right? And then he goes to the crowd to dismiss them. And he wants to go be by himself. And that's kind of where our story picks up, okay? So we're going to be in Matthew 14. By the way, there's two parallel passages to this. As you're studying the scriptures, this is, this is a good way to do it. So in the gospels, right, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different gospels, four different writers of those gospels, and they tell very much the same story, the story of Jesus's life. And so in those four gospels, many times, many events are talked about in, in each of them or in multiple gospels. And so this is one of those events. So this event that we're going to read in Matthew 14, Mark talks about it in Mark chapter 6, and then John talks about it in John chapter 6 as well. And it's interesting, like if you have two people writing a story about something that they saw, much of it's going to be the same, but then they're going to pick up on little details as well, right? Like this guy might write about this and this guy might write about this. That's what you see in the Gospels as well. So I'll share a little bit of that with you as well as we jump into this. We're going to look at the Matthew 14 part. So check it out. Matthew 14, we're going to pick up in verse 22. So this is what it says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter says, I love Peter. I love Peter. He's such a knucklehead. I love him. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Wow, it's amazing, right? Like only things that God could do. 
And again, if you read this and you're like, man, this is crazy, right? Like this is outlandish. Go back and think this wasn't just recounted by one guy, Matthew. This is who, who was there, by the way. This is also about Mark, right? And also John, who was there, by the way. They tell very much the same story. So what happens? Let's dig into this a little bit. So Jesus tells his disciples to go on ahead of him, and he sends them on a boat across a big lake. That big lake is actually the Sea of Galilee, okay? And they would have been on a boat. The boat would have looked something like this. The boat was about 25 feet long. So it's not like, you know, a little canoe or something. It's a pretty substantial boat, 25 feet long. They, some of the guys that I read said it's about the size of like a large moving truck. So a bus is like 37, 39 feet this is 25 feet, so two-thirds the length of a bus. And the way that you get a boat like that moving, the way that you can direct it, is two things. You see the sails, right? So if you're going in the, you know, with the wind, the direction of the wind, you use the sails, or you row. Like, no motors on this, right? So you either row or you use the, the sails. And so they would have had to cross. The Sea of Galilee is about four to five miles across. And so depending on where they went, went across, they would have had to go four to five miles to get to the other side. And in the parallel passage in John 6, it's interesting. You actually see, like, in the, in the original language, it's translated a little bit differently into English. You don't pick up on it quite as much. But in the original language, you see that when Jesus dismisses his disciples, he does it with a sense of urgency. So he's not like, you know, hey, um, you know, if you guys want, why don't you just get in the boat, go to the other side. I'll meet you around there. It's not like a suggestion. It's more like a command. I want you guys to get in the boat go to the other side, I'll meet you over there, right? There's this urgency to it. And then Jesus goes and dismisses the crowd. Why do you think there's urgency to Jesus doing that? Remember the context. He's, his cousin has just died. He's gone to try to go have some time to process through it with his father. He gets no time. Crowds, vast crowds of people wanting from him, wanting from him, wanting from him right? And so he heals them all day. He feeds them miraculously at night, and then he needs to go off and be alone in prayer, right? He needs to go spend some time with his father. And I think, by the way, we do too, you know? I think, I think for Western evangelical Christians, which is what we are, maybe prayer is like the most overlooked thing in our faith, you know, we can do all kinds of things when we're hurting, when we're struggling. We can do all sorts of things to process through pain and struggle and the feelings that we have apart from going to God the Father. And I think, man, there's a lot that I can learn. You know, you think about Jesus. This is just one time. He goes to God so many, goes to the Father so many times throughout the Gospels. And you step back and you go, he's fully human, but he's also fully God, right? Jesus if he needs to go to the Father to process, to have perspective, how much more do I, right? I look at Jesus and I go, wow, that's, that's easily overlooked in our lives. So he goes and he spends time with his Father. The guys, the disciples go out into the boat and it says that they row a considerable distance. And in the NIV that we read, that's how it's translated, a considerable distance. Literally what it says is many stadia many stadia. And a stadia, stadium, the singular, is actually an ancient unit of measurement. It's about 600 feet. And so when you get to um, that other parallel passage in John 6, John's actually more specific. He says that they rode out about 25 to 30 stadia, okay? 25 to 30 times 600 feet, it ends up being about three, three and a half miles. 
So they've gone a considerable distance out there, right? And so then it says that shortly before dawn is when Jesus walks out to them. That's how it's translated in our Bible, shortly before dawn. Literally what it says is the fourth watch. And let me explain that. So in Roman understanding, what they did was from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., they would have people on watch, sentinels, what they called them, on watch. And so they would be, you know, the, the, the lookouts, the watchmen. And what they did was they broke that 12-hour period up into four three-hour periods. And so you had the first watch, which was 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., you have the second watch, which is 9 p.m. to midnight, the third watch, which is midnight to 3, and then you have this fourth watch, which is 3 to 6. And so when Jesus walks out to them, it's sometime in between 3 and 6 in the morning. And so again, like, think about that. He's gone through all of this stuff, right, helping all of these people, and he stayed up all night, right? And then he's walked out a considerable distance, 3 to 3 and a half miles on the water, on the lake. I don't know what lake walking's like compared to like, you know, walking on a trail or something, but I've walked in sand before. It's not easy. Water's gotta be harder than that, right? So it's between three and 6 a.m. They, uh, I don't know how long it takes to row. The guys that I read said it, they would have had plenty of time to get from one side of the lake to the other. Okay, they would have had plenty of time to get there by the time that Jesus comes out to them on the lake. And so Jesus comes out to them and it freaks them out. And it's interesting when you go to the parallel passage in Mark chapter 6, it's fascinating. It says in Mark 6 that Jesus was about to pass by them when they saw him and it freaked him out. Right, right? So like he's walking across the water, they're over here, and Jesus is kind of doing, I probably didn't walk like that. Jesus is kind of doing his own thing, you know, like walking across the water, and all of a sudden they see him, he was going to pass by them, and you think, why? Like what was, what was his reason for like walking by them? And of course, no one knows for sure. My opinion is he's actually as surprised by them as they are of him. That's what I think. I think Jesus is like, he thought they'd be to the other side by that point. I look back at this miracle and I think this was probably a miracle that no one else was supposed to know about, right? Because they, would have, they should have had plenty of time to get to the other side. So I imagine Jesus, you know, like when I, a lot of times when I go spend time with God, I put my headphones on and I go to Silver Creek and I take a hike, I take a walk, right? I'm sort of zoned out to everything around me, right? I'm spending time with God. That's kind of what I see Jesus walking on the water with. I would go walk on a trail. Jesus walks across a lake, right? But he's like walking across a lake, and I imagine him being like kind of zoned out, like just talking to the Father, right? And then all of a sudden he looks over, and they're like freaking out over here, right? Because they see him. I think it scared Jesus as much as, or surprised Jesus as much as it surprised them. We'll never know. We'll know one day, I guess, in heaven. Regardless, they see Jesus and they think that he's a ghost. And, and, you know, you put yourself again in that situation, that would have been a pretty creepy situation, right? Cold, dark, wet, eerie night. You're tired. You're kind of scared. You know, the wind and the waves battering the boat. And then all of a sudden you look out into the water and you see something or you see someone, right? Like walking on the water. That's enough to freak any of us out. And so they think that there's a ghost walking on the water. And then Jesus, of course, assures them. He calms them down. He says, take courage. It's I. It is I. Don't be afraid. Right? He's like, relax. It's me. You got, you got nothing to be scared of. 
And then, and then Peter, right? I just love Peter. Peter's like, essentially, Peter's like, Lord, if it's you, prove it, right? Ask, you, ask me to come out of the boat and walk to you on the water, right? That's what, that's what he asked Jesus. And then Jesus' response is so simple. He just says, come, right? Come on in or, or come on on, right? Not in the water, but on the water. Come, he says, And so Peter does, he steps out of the boat and he walked on the water toward Jesus. But then he realizes what the heck he's doing, right? Like he remembers the wind, he he sees the waves going around and it says that he doubts and he fears and he begins to sink. And so he immediately, he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus, of course, does. He grabs hold of Peter's hand and he saves them. He pulls them into the boat right? And interestingly, when that happens, it says the wind dies down. And that, the, that word that we translate as dies down is, um, it's a strong word. It means ceased. It means completely stopped. So it's not like it's really, really windy, and then it's just less windy when Jesus gets in the boat. That word means it was really, really windy, and then all of a sudden it is dead calm, right? So he gets in the boat, and the disciples see all of this stuff, right? And what does it say they do? They worshiped him. They said, truly, truly, this is the Son of God. So that's our passage this weekend. And I love this. I don't, I don't know what you guys, like when you read the Bible, what it looks like for you. The, this, the study of like interpreting the Bible is called hermeneutics. And one of the important techniques or practices in hermeneutics, when we read a story like this, is like we, we look at the characters of the story. Like sometimes we can just kind of read it and go for information and we go, okay, that's interesting, right? But we put ourselves into the story and we go, what is it that I could learn? Like what, what are these, these characters thinking in this passage? What would I be thinking if I were them? What is it that I could learn from them? What is it that I could learn about them? And so I think this passage in particular has so much that we could learn from and that we could learn about each of the main characters in the story. So who are, who are the main characters in the story? We got Jesus, right? Of course, that's an easy one. We got Peter. He's a main character in the story. And then the third, I would lump all of the disciples together. I would say they are sort of collectively a main character because they're all just sort of doing the same thing, sitting in the boat, right? I know there's multiple of them, but they're just sort of sitting in the boat together. So I would say they are the third main character. So you have Jesus. You have this, the one who walks on water, the one who calls someone else to walk on water. And then as they're sinking, saves them and calms the wind. That's what Jesus does, right? And then you have Peter. Peter's the guy who gets out of the boat. Peter's the guy who asks Jesus to call him out of the boat, right? And Jesus does, and then he steps out. He's the guy who walks on water and then fears and doubts and sinks, right? That's what Peter does. And then you have the disciples, and the disciples are just sort of watching all of this stuff. They're they're observing. They're kind of just bystanders in the story, and yet their response, in my opinion, is incredibly powerful. So I want to I look, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these characters. And I want to see, like, what can we learn from them? What can we learn about them? And so here's how I want to do it. Usually when I 
when I teach and put a, like a, a sermon together, I think very sequentially with things. I want to jump around a little bit. And so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about you know, like what we learn from Jesus. I want to talk a little bit about what we learn from Peter, then back to Jesus, then back to Peter. And then I'm going to end talking about what we can uh, learn from the other disciples in it, okay? So let's start with Jesus. What does this passage tell us about Jesus? Well, we're talking about miracles, right? Like this is the section that we're on. And in this section, we see Jesus do a miracle. We see Jesus do miraculous things. Actually, if we look closely, we don't just see Jesus do one miracle. We see Jesus do three miracles, right? Did you catch that? So the first one's obvious. It's probably the heading in your Bible. Jesus walks on water, right? So we've talked about this. He walks miles. Like sometimes we try to walk on water. You ever, you ever did this? Like you put like a, a kneeboard or something under your feet, like in a swimming pool or something. You try to like walk. Like us walking on water is really different than Jesus walking on water. Jesus walks three, three and a half miles across the water, right? Absolutely, undoubtedly a miraculous thing that normal human beings can't do. That's miracle number one. Second, he gives Peter the ability to walk on water, right? So Jesus walks, I don't know, three, four miles. Peter walks like three or four steps before, you know, he starts doubting and he starts sinking in there. But Peter didn't have the ability to walk on water before that experience, right? And presumably, Peter didn't have the ability to walk on water after that experience. How did he get that? Well, it was a miracle that Jesus did, right? Jesus has the ability to manipulate the laws of nature, right? With himself and with other people too. So that's the second miracle. He walked on water. He has Peter walk on water. And then the third miracle is he calms the wind, right? Another, another story about Jesus, we won't look at it in this part, but another story of Jesus is he calms the storms, and so Jesus has this, incre- this godly ability to control the weather. And so you look at those three miracles and you go, what does that tell us about Jesus? Well, I love, one of my favorite theologians is a guy named Craig Blomberg. And I love how he said, he was talking about this passage and he sums it up so well. He said, Jesus is Lord of all creation. Just think about that. He is the Lord of all creation. Everything that is, all creation submits to his authority, right? Like, why do we pray when we're in a storm and we're like, I don't know what to do? Like, why do we pray to God? Because he's the one who has the authority to change the circumstances, to control the weather, right? Jesus is the one who has the authority. All creation submits to him. Who can do what he did? Not you, not me. Only God could do that, right? All things were created by him and for him. In fact, it says this in Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see this. This is what it says. I'll throw it up on the screen. It says, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He created it all. And all of creation submits to him. He's incredibly powerful. Why? Because he's God, right? Jesus is the Lord of all creation. That's the first thing I think it jumps out to us. But let's jump over to Peter. We'll come back to Jesus here in a minute. Let's jump back over to Peter. So when the disciples see Jesus and they, they freak out, you know, and Jesus is like, relax, it's me, don't worry about it. Peter then makes this very bold request to Jesus, right? He says, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. So Jesus says, come. And I, I think about that, like, I don't know how you process through that. 
I think about that and I love that because Peter asked Jesus to make it possible for him to do the impossible, right? It's impossible for any of us to walk on water. Peter asked Jesus to make it so that he make it possible so that he could do the impossible, so that he could do a hard, scary, risky thing that he's never done before and he's never seen anybody else do before except Jesus doing it right there in front of him. See, here's what I say with Peter. Peter willingly steps out of the boat, right? Peter willingly steps out of the boat into the raging sea, into the wind and the waves. Like, he's not coerced to do it, right? He's not forced to do it. In fact, it's his idea. He makes this sort of crazy, I mean, absolutely crazy request to Jesus, and then he has the willingness to, to take the risk, right? To step out of the boat. And guys, I think about that, I think, man, some of us, like some of us need to be willing to do the same thing, right? Like we need to step out of the boat, but we need to ask, ask God first to call us out of the boat, to be able to actually make a difference in this world. Sometimes we can get into the mindset like, I just want to make it through, like, I just want to get by. I just, I just want to scrape by in this world, survive. Like, we need to ask Jesus to call us out so that we can make a difference in this world. And then when we hear him do that, to have the courage, when we understand his calling, the courage to willingly step out and do what he's calling us to do. So for me, like stepping out of the boat, I don't know, three, probably almost four years ago now, for me, what that looked like, I'm praying, my like, God, show me what you want me to do. Show me what it looks like for me to step out of the boat for you to make an impact, to make a difference. For me, it was leading the launch of a new campus in Barberton, right? Like, that, was a, that was a gigantic step of faith for me because I've never done it before, right? I, I don't know if I'm good at it. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to step out of the boat and I'm going to sink like a stone, but I asked God, and I felt like he said, come, this, this is what it looks like for you to step out of the boat. And there's plenty of times when it's really hard, right? Like we step back now, we're like, man, look what all God's doing. And we're building second layers on our sound booth. This is amazing. Look what all God's doing, right? There's times when it's really, really hard. It's not just hard to step out of the boat, to have the courage to step out of the boat. It's also hard to walk on water, to do the near impossible thing that he's calling us to do. I would argue that God doesn't call us to do nice, easy, comfortable things. He, he gives us nice, easy, comfortable times amidst the really hard things that he calls us to do. Why do you think he gives us hard things to do? I think part of it is so that we depend on him, right? He, he called Peter to step out of the boat and walk on water. That is impossible without Jesus doing what only Jesus could do, right? And as we step out and we, you know, we do these things that he's calling us to do, we get to see Jesus more clearly. Like, that's the best part of it. When we stay nice and safe in the boat, we're, we're distanced from Jesus, right? Like, think about when Peter steps out of the boat and he walks on the water, who's he walking to? Jesus, right? Like, he's getting closer to Jesus, when we follow what he's calling us to do, and he says, come, this is, this is stepping out of the boat for you, we get an, a, a deeper intimacy, an understanding of who he is and his power that we could never get 
otherwise. And so now, you know, whatever it is, three, three, four years later, I got the campus going and I'm praying again. I'm like, God, show me what you want me to do now. Like, show me what it looks like for me to step out of the boat again, to lead our campus into new things that we're not yet doing and give me the courage to do it, right? And, and by the way, let me be clear with this. As you see in our passage, Peter didn't just step out of the boat on his own. Let me, let me bounce back here to what we learn about Jesus. Peter asked Jesus to call him out, right? Like Peter asked him to do that. And then what happened? What did Jesus do? What Jesus called, right? That's what Jesus does. Jesus calls us. If, if we're listening to him and we're asking him, like, what does it look like for me to step out of the boat? He's faithful. He's got plans for us. I wish I would have said this each of the, each of the services. I, I didn't. You know, you, you look around. I talk to plenty of, of people that feel like, ah, I'm kind of worthless. You know, like, what do I have to offer? Like, how, how is God possibly going to use me? He's got plans for you. Significant things for each of us to do that will impact his kingdom, that will impact this world. If we ask him, if we go to him, and if we're listening, Jesus calls us to these things. I am 100% certain, 100% certain, there are lots of us sitting in this room that if we're listening and if we ask him, he will call us to do things that we're not already doing, significant things in the kingdom of God. And I'm not qualified to tell you what that is, right? Because I'm not God. That's between you and God. I can help. I can pray for you. I can facilitate that process maybe. But are you going to him? Like, what's he calling you to do? It's not just to scrape by. It's not just to not fail. Like, he's got plans for each of us in this world to make an impact. I think I'd encourage you to pray about that. I don't know where, I don't know where you know, each of us are at, but I'd really encourage you to go to the Lord about that and ask him and listen. Let's, let's bounce back over to Peter. So he asked Jesus to call him out of the boat. Jesus calls him. He steps out. He takes a few steps on water. And then what happens? He sinks, right? Why do you think he sinks? Who, who does he stop looking at? Jesus, right? What does he start looking at? Uh, he starts looking at the wind. I guess the, the effects of the wind, right? He starts looking at these giant waves. I'll bet you he looks down at his feet and, he's, and he asks himself the question like, what the heck am I doing? Like, I'm standing on water. People can't stand on water, right? And he starts to get fearful. And it says he starts to sink. He starts to doubt and fear and sink. Why? Like, what, what happened? What caused him to do that? Well, Peter misdirects his focus, right? Peter misdirects his focus. He takes his eyes, he takes his focus off of Jesus. And instead, where does he put him? The circumstances, Right? He puts them on what's going on around him. It's impossible to do what he's doing. He's you know, looking at himself going, it's impossible to do this even though he's doing it, right? Like God had made it so that he could do it. And guys, when we take our focus, when we misdirect our focus and we take it off Jesus and we put it on our circumstances, that makes all the difference between actually walking on water, doing things that seem impossible or sinking, and, I, you know, I don't know if you ever experienced this. I'm going to be just real, real um, transparent with you, real honest with you. I battle this regularly in my life. 
You know, like sometimes my, my eyes can get misdirected. You know, sometimes my focus can get misdirected. And it's a subtle shift, you know. Like I can one moment be like laser focused on Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit working in and through me. I can be one moment there to the next moment being distracted by whatever it is that distracts us. There's all kinds of things that distract us. Maybe it's a problem that I'm having. Maybe it's a problem that somebody else is having. Maybe it's an illness that I'm experiencing, some sort of malady. Maybe it's a success that distracts me. Maybe it's a hobby that I'm passionate about. Maybe it's discouragement that I'm feeling. Maybe it's heartache that I'm, that I'm feeling. And then my focus then shifts to that thing, right? And it shifts away from Jesus. And what happens? What happens every time when our focus shifts from the cross, from Jesus, to whatever's going on around us? What sort of feelings do we feel? Not good ones, right? We start to get scared, right? Like, I, I don't know, I feel this bump in the back of my head. Maybe I have a brain tumor. Maybe, and we start to like, make things bigger in our mind because our focus is on the circumstances. We start to get scared. Maybe we start to get discouraged, just plain distracted, whatever it looks like. And then we start to sink. And then we look at this thing that God has called us to do, whatever it looks like for us to step out of the boat. We look at that and we go, that's impossible. There's no chance that can happen because we're focused on our circumstances and we're not focused on the one who can make the impossible possible, right? And so I think when, we're in this, when we find ourselves in a situation like that, where it's like, ah, I've gotten distracted, I've, I've put my, my focus on my circumstances, I'm looking at my feet and I'm walking on water and I'm sinking, I think when we realize that we're sinking, we have two choices. One, we can like flail around in the water and do everything we can to try to keep our head above the surface so that we could actually keep going and not die and breathe, right? Like, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to do it. I'm going to save myself. Or we can reach up our hand and we say, Lord, save me. I'm sinking. I realize I'm, I'm, my, my focus is misdirected. And we go, oh, Lord, save me. That's what Peter does. Peter grabs a hold of Jesus' hand and he yells, Lord, save me. Like he, he does the right thing. He doesn't try to do it on his own. And I don't know what you think about that, but I look at that and I go, that's a good lesson for me. That's a good lesson for me to learn because I can be prone to try to do it myself. I can, I can be prone to be very independent. And I go, oh, I'm sinking. I got a doggy paddle and I got to keep my head above the water. I missed all of these waves crashing over me. And I, I choke half the time, right? Jesus doesn't want us to choke. His desire is that we would reach up and we would go, Lord, save me. And then, by the way, let me bounce back over to Jesus one more time. How does Jesus respond when Peter's, you know, taking his focus off him, he's doubting, he's fearing all those things, and he begins to sink? How does he respond when Peter then cries out to him, Lord, save me? Does Jesus go, well, hey, you took your focus off of me. You're on your own now. No, right? How does he respond? Well, he saves him. That Jesus saves. Like, that's, that's what Jesus does. He reaches out his hand to him. He says, he pulls him into the boat, right? And he says, Peter, why so little faith? Why did you doubt? When your focus was on me, when you trusted me, you were walking on water, People can't walk home. You were, you were walking on water when I was your focus. 
When you start looking around at your circumstances, you started to sink. Like, why so little faith, Peter? And he takes him, pulls him into the boat. He pulls him to safety, to solid ground. And guys, Jesus does the same thing for us, too. Like, when you find yourself sinking, when you step back, again, like, it's a subtle shift. Many times we don't even realize it, right? Because we still have to live our lives. We still have to focus on things at times, right, with our lives. It's a subtle shift. But when we realize, man, I've taken my eyes off Jesus. Like, my eyes are on the, the water. I'm walking on water. No one can walk on water. And we start to sink. Like, Jesus is in the saving business, Right? He wants us to reach up, and he'll grab hold of us. That's what he does. Let, let, let me end uh, looking at the disciples on the boat. One, one last thing. This is powerful to me. I said at the beginning, they're like bystanders in all this. They're just sort of watching everything, taking it in, feeling whatever they feel in that moment, seeing whatever they see in that moment, taking everything in, the big waves crashing against the boat, you know, Jesus walking miles across the lake on top of the water, the fear of thinking he's a ghost, the confusion of going, wait a minute, he's not a ghost, that's actually our friend, that's actually our leader, Jesus walking on water. They see Peter say, hey, if that's really you, call me out of the boat, I'll walk on water too. They see Peter get out of the boat, walk on water, Peter begin to fear and doubt, Peter begin to sink, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down, saves him, pulls him into the boat, and then the wind, everything gets calm, right? Like they see all of this stuff happening, and then the disciples respond. In my opinion, in the only way that's appropriate. Did you see, did you catch what they did? They said, truly, you are the son of God, and then they worshiped him. The disciples respond with worship. They see all of this stuff firsthand. If your friend came to you and said, I can walk on, I can manipulate the laws of nature and I can control the weather, we go, you're a lunatic, right? You're crazy. The disciples see their friend and leader do these exact things and their response is, holy moly, you are the son of God and they worship him. Guys, let's, let's end with the so what question. I've been asking this each week. Like, so what? As you think through all of this stuff, as you like dig into this passage with your own heart, and you think about you know, your own life, and you filter it through your own experiences with God, how do you respond, right? How do you respond to the Lord of all creation, the one who all creation submits to his authority, who has the power to manipulate the laws of nature and control the weather and everything that exists, to the one who calls us out of the boat, to step out of the boat and do great things in his name. What is he calling you toward? How is he calling you to step out of the boat? The one who reaches out his hand to save us you know, when we're struggling, when, we're, when we've made bad decisions, when we've taken our focus off him, he doesn't just abandon us. Peter is just a, a beautiful study in second and third and fourth and fifth and millionth chances, right? God doesn't give up on Peter, even though he makes bad choice after bad choice. In fact, God makes Peter the leader of his church after he ascends up into heaven. It's incredible. He rescues us. Jesus says, that's the business that he's in. When you see all of these things, the disciples, they responded with worship. 
how will you respond? Let's pray together.